Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello. Thanks for tuning in. I am Thomas Dinas, and this is the Delicious Legacy Podcast, episode number two. All the aspects of ancient civilizations, and especially the history of classical Greece, what fascinates me the most is gastronomy. What they ate, how they cooked what they ate, what produce was available, and how did it taste like the most important bit, of course. And this is obviously more so a passion um, when I focus my culinary research. You can see the inverted commas there, even on the radio. In the era of classical Greece, loosely between 500 and 300 BC, a sheer explosion of fact, drama and comedy, philosophy, new inventions, new ideas, new ways of seeing the world, and new conquests. We know a good deal about them. We have an idea, as well, about what the leaders thought. Alexander the Great, Pericles, Themistocles, Leonidas, Plato. But what do we know about their food? Their passion about it? What about their favorite sauces? Condiments, spices, meats, fish, cheeses? Where are the archaeological evidence and fragments from ancient literature that describe in any meaningful way how was the culinary world in the Mediterranean basin 2,500 years ago? Well, it turns out it is easier said than done. Thankfully, I am not alone in my quest. And I have the remarkable work and detailed research of countless food historians, archaeologists, classicists and other passionate geniuses. Today, I want to have a brief talk about Silphium. We know that from some point onwards, the Greeks and Romans fell in love with it. But what was it? And where is it now? (laughs) 
the year is 635 BC, 2,655 years ago. Picture a long Pentecotter vessel, the predecessor to the trireme ship, having left the port of Thera, the ancient town of the island of Sandorini. It has been seven long years of drought, and the inhabitants of this rather unassuming Greek settlement are desperate. Grinus, the king of Thera, alongside Corobius, a dealer in purple dyes, who has been down in these unknown lands before, are sailing across the Mediterranean Sea, south of Crete, trying to reach the shores of Libya. This was in accordance to orders from Pythia, the oracle of Delphi, who, positioned above a chasm in the earth, through the mist and sulfur-filled plumes of smoke, with her honey-voiced singing prophecy, commanded them to found a settlement in the land of Cyrene. Little they knew that this new colony, part of the Pentapolis, which was founded in a fertile valley in the foothills of the Akhtar Mountains, would be a successful, powerful and important trading Greek centre across the eastern Mediterranean basin. Its importance was manifested in the demand for the native plant silphium, used as a medicinal and most importantly cooking ingredient all over the ancient Greek and Roman universe. The ancient Greeks. The most mysterious food item of the ancient Greeks I have come across is the almost mythical and most certainly now extinct plant Silphium. Silphium was first mentioned in Greek literature in the early 6th century BC by the famous Athenian statesman Solon. Silphium was a wild herb and was not able to be farmed, yet it rapidly became an indispensable ingredient in the menus of the ancient world. Silphium only grew in Cyrenaica, which we now know as modern-day Libya. Cyrenaica was a Greek colony established around the 7th century BC. Perhaps the indigenous nomads introduced it to the Greek colonists. The city quickly flourished in part due to one of its valuable commodities, Silphium. But what did it taste like? How was it used? And can I use it in my recipes now? I hear you asking. Well, what do we know about it? The plant was almost certainly related to fennel and celery. And it was eaten principally in the forms of opos, a dried sap, and kylos, a stem. These general words, dried sap and stem, were appropriated into the trade of silphium and came to denote how was eaten. Romans, on the other hand, like to eat the whole root and stem sliced and preserved in vinegar, just like pickles then. Dioscorides, a prominent Greek physician of the Roman army, says of silphium. The Cyrenaic silphium, even if one tastes it, at once arouses a humour throughout the body and has a very healthy aroma so that is not noticed on the breath, or only a little. How was it used? Well, the farmers, cheeky as they are, as usual, 
fed their sheep on a diet of silphium to make tastier meat. So basically, silphium fed sheep were the ancient equivalent of uh, the highly prized and highly priced Wagyu beef today. According to Pliny, if an animal should ever come upon a promising shoot of silphium, the sign will be that the sheep after eating it rather rapidly falls asleep, whereas a goat sneezes rather loudly. Alas, silphium appears to have died out in the first century AD, as we read from Pliny's natural history. For many years now, it has not been found there. The single stem found within living memory was sent to Emperor Nero. The goat never sneezes. Nero must have eaten the last one. <coughs> Why did it disappear when it was so popular and so prized? There are many theories and speculations as to what really was the downfall of this plant. But its popularity seems to be the main reason. Vast sums of money were made by whoever controlled the trade of it. So valuable was to Romans that the state treasury stored it alongside with gold and silver. In the highly interconnected Roman world, it was a very prominent ingredient. As a wild plant, with no known means of, of cultivation, the overgrazing most likely contributed massively to its demise and of course to the disappearance on our modern tables. So, that's it. We cannot try any of the silphium recipes. Well, no. Luckily for us, we can. There is a silphium that Romans and Greeks of later times used. An alternative which came from Iran and Armenia. It was used as a spice by the soldiers of Alexander the Great. You know the guy. Authors of this time treated the Libyan and the Middle Eastern plants as if they were identical. This Middle Eastern plant still exists today and is what you will know as Asafoetida. Asafoetida is the resin of the plant Ferula Asafoetida, a relative to fennel. The aroma and flavor of Asafoetida can be compared with leek and garlic. It is a strong and concentrated flavor which typically I enjoy cooking with. But even I, I have found that it can easily overpower my dishes. It needs a light hand and if used correctly, it is delicious. It is commonly found in Indian cuisine nowadays, uh, used in many, many dishes, and you may see it referred to, in Hindi of course, as hing. As I have told you, ancient Romans uh, rather loved it, and uh, there are a number of recipes in Apicius' cookery book that you can try. You can find this book available online. I made the roast hair dish, or a rabbit if you can't find hair, from the book, which has a red wine sauce, a safotida powder, onions, celery seed, lavage, roux, and the other ubiquitous ingredient of the ancient world, garum. More garum next time. Um, I also made a hearty lentil stew uh, with a safotida and celery and so on. Uh, that was a big hit as well. And uh, surprisingly, this spice also worked uh, really well with uh, fish. I made a baked mackerel dish where I split uh, the mackerel down the middle. I sprinkled asafoetida in the flesh 
of uh, the fish down, uh, and fresh oregano and some uh, fresh severed cheese and uh, press it down press it down on the flesh of the fish and bake it for 20 minutes at 180 degrees Celsius. Archestratus was a Sicilian Greek who circumnavigated the world to satisfy his hunger. From Sicily to the furthest most eastern point of Black Sea, he travelled to find out about the specialities of all the cities in between. His chief concern was to discover the true flavour of fresh produce, chosen in the right place at the right time of the year. Like him, I want to take you into a heady journey of discovery, into the fragrant herb gardens of Greeks, Persians, Egyptians and Romans. Let's have a look. The first um, herb I want to talk about, and spice as such, is um, sumac. Uh, basically it comes from uh, the tree called Rus, which um, produces small bright red uh, berries, fruits, which then are, which then are dried. And uh, Rus was probably one of the culinary delights listed in the verse by Solon in the early 6th century BC on the life of luxury. Sumac was certainly in use as a flavoring in the Athenian kitchens by the 4th century BC. Although the tree grows all over the Mediterranean area, it appears that the preparation of its ground fruit as condiment and medicine was only done in Syria, which remarkably, after two and a half thousand years, is still a very, very popular spice uh, in that part of the world. Syria and Lebanon, uh, we have, yeah, we, they still do it and cook with it many, many dishes. Uh, another big surprise that um, uh, a lot of people, they don't associate with Greek cuisine at all, let alone with ancient Greek cuisine, is coriander. Uh, coriander as a herb, it's been in use, um, well, basically it, it is a herb from uh, the Mediterranean, uh, from the Eastern Mediterranean area. So it, it grows there abundantly. And we know that um, it's been in use in cooking at least since uh, the Mycenaean times. Uh, we have found uh, linear B tablets, uh, which has been listed in two distinct forms. One is as coriander leaf and one as a coriander seed. So both types and forms were used, so as fresh herb and as a spice, since at least uh, 1500 BC. Cori the linear B uh, syllabic text for coriander leaf. Cori for coriander seed. Another surprise here, cumin. Again, cumin is being associated mainly with Middle Eastern cuisine, with the Arabs, perhaps uh, with the Indians. It's been it's been used a lot in the Indian cuisine. Uh, but remarkably, cumin as a as a herb, it's a herb that is grown again. It's native to to the Mediterranean area, Greece and such as such. And we find lists of quantities of cumin uh, in linear B tablets. 
So again, we're talking about 1,500 BC. So we're talking about three and a half thousand years of uh, of uh, use of cumin in um, Greek cuisine. Um, this uh, also remarkably, the name the hasn't changed much since then. Uh, so in linear B tablets, it's listed as cumino, and Theophrasus, the classical medicine writer, uh, classed it as a pot herb but also is a source of uh, spicy seeds widely used in cookery, as we all do now. Juniper berries. There are two species of juniper berries, Archephthys and Kedrion, served as medicines and exported in Egypt for culinary purposes from the 4th millennium BC. So about 6,000 years, give or take. Lavage. That's a very interesting uh, herb. Um, which uh, has a very interesting history since it was very popular until at least medieval times. Um, then it fell out of uh, popularity in uh, the cuisine, in the, the, the European cuisine at least. Uh, uh, Lavage was known to Dioscorides as a plant native to Liguria, hence its Greek name, Ligisticon. Um, so Ligisticon or Lavage is sour and aromatic to taste. It's digestive and the local people used it in sauces. A herbal wine is made with it. It's tasted it goes well with fish and legume dishes. Also it's used uh, for flavoring uh, meat. It was a very popular uh, herb but also a very very popular spice. It's one of the most um, listed spices in Apicius' book of cookery, uh, basically almost every recipe requires pepper and lavage. And um, I think in this form, lavage means the, the seeds, so the spice, which has been um, pounded in a mortar together with pepper. And um, it has a very distinct flavor. It's quite difficult to find nowadays uh, the actual seeds of lavage. But the lavage leaf, again, it's a very, very, very unique taste, which uh, it doesn't require a lot of, 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 the, of the fresh herb in your dishes. But fresh herb is very easy to grow yourselves in, pot, in pots or, or in uh, your garden. And um, yeah, I mean, it comes back the next year too, so you don't have to re-sow it. So yeah, you, you plant one year and then comes back next year too. Um, but yeah, seeds. Seeds. There's something similar in the Indian cuisine. Um, and Joanne seeds, you can find them in Indian soaps, which gives a similar effect, I think. Anyway, uh, let's move on to caraway. Caro, uh, like lavage, was used uh, for flavoring meats. And then... Uh, Principally, it was used in, in, in the cuisine, uh, in the kitchens. Fenugreek, another surprise here. Fenugreek spread westwards in the late classical time. It was domesticated by the 4th millennium BC uh, around the Near East and Egypt. Its main use was as a, as a perfume and the fragrance was sweet and gentle. Fennel, fennel is another great um, herb and spice. Um, well, you can use the fresh, uh, the fresh uh, fennel bulb, all the fennel seeds, which have a very nice aromatic, um, aniseed 
taste and aroma. And um, great we use obviously with fish, but um, I found a great recipe uh, for marinating olives in uh, fennel seeds and a few other different um, fresh herbs and spices with uh, red wine, vinegar and uh, olive oil. Mm, let's talk about pepper. The word peperi is of Indian origin, Sanskrit pipali, but in Indian language the word denotes the long pepper, piper longum. This spice, rather unfamiliar now, was regularly imported to the classical Mediterranean, where the price of macropeperi was double that of the black pepper. Theophrasus describes it as thus. Pepper is a fruit and is of two kinds one round like bitter vetch, with a shell and flesh like bayberries, reddish, the long kind with poppy-like seeds, and this much stronger than the other. Both are heating. Ginger. We first hear of gingerberry in a Greek-speaking context when the Roman medical writer Celsus lists ginger as one of the ingredients in King Mithridates' famous poison antidote. This would date the knowledge of ginger, at least among royal pharmacists in Pontus, to the early 1st century BC. In the following century, Greek pharmacist Dioscuridis of Anazarba says and correctly distinguishes ginger from pepper. Ginger is a separate plant, grown mostly in Eritrea and Arabia where the much use of it fresh, as we use leeks, boiling it for soup and including it in stews. It is a small tuber, like Ciperus, whitish, pepper in flavor and aromatic. Choose roots that are not warm eaten. Some producers pickle it, otherwise it deteriorates, and export it in jars to Italy. It is very nice to eat, it is eaten pickle and all. Parsley, Petrocellinon Macedonicon. It is first recorded in the 2nd century BC. It is this that gives it its name to parsley in modern Greek, Mindanos. Of course, we have um, herbs like um, mint like herbs, apart from the normal mint. We have pennyroyal and calamint, which is uh, again. Pennyroyal is very easy to grow, and I think you can grow it yourselves. And uh, calamine you can find in, in the wild, as long as you know what, how it looks like. But they're very interesting herbs, and they do have uh, their own their own distinct type of mintiness, not so strong in a way or as the as the normal mint that we're used, but but is in, intense in its own in its own way. Finally. Rue. Um, this is um, again. I think it's not too dissimilar in terms um, of flavor and and as a as a as a fresh herb from um, thyme and oregano, perhaps. Um, it used to be very popular again as a culinary herb. Uh, the name is Ruta graveolens and is now rarely used. 
which is a pity because its unusual bitter flavor is still valuable in the kitchen and it has a great reputation as a medicinal herb. It imparts a necessary bitterness to sweet and rich food it's well worth experimenting with. It's a hardy evergreen and grows well in any type of soil, so I think even if it's almost impossible to find it in its fresh or dried form in supermarkets and specialty shops, it's definitely easy enough to grow yourselves in pots or in the garden. So why not give it a go? So I've promised you a few recipes with asafoetida, aka Silphium. Um, so here's a, a favorite one of mine. I've recreated this one a few times uh, for some of my feasts. Also, I think this one is a perfect Sunday lunch, especially on a cold winter Sunday like we have now. It calls for marinated lamb or goat kid, which is marinated in milk, honey, asafoetida, and black pepper. Most of the recipes in this book, they don't contain quantities. But um, one of the few recipes in Apicius that gives us quantities, and um, they actually work quite well, um, the quantities given in Latin as uh, sextarius, which, uh, roughly, which is roughly equivalent to a pint. Okay, so let's take, uh, for example, two kilo leg of lamb on the bone, get a big pot or something like that and uh, heat um, some milk about a pint so roughly 570 ml of milk um, just heat it enough uh, so the honey can dissolve basically once this is cooled down uh, add 30 grams of uh, black pepper some salt plus a teaspoon of asafoetida remember it's quite potent so we don't we don't want to overdo it at least on this stage anyway so yeah, one teaspoon is uh, enough, quite more than enough, I think. Um, so yeah, once we do that, then dunk the meat into this divine liquid and make sure it's uh, covered all around, uh, bathed like a queen and let it absorb all its flavors overnight. At the same time, uh, in order to make the sauce for next day, Soak uh, a good uh, two handfuls of uh, dates, fresh or dried, doesn't matter, in a little red wine. So you leave the dates to soak in that wine overnight. Uh, next day, remove uh, the meat from the marinade, uh, pat it dry with some uh, kitchen towel, rub, uh, rub it all, all over with um, salt and olive oil, and then uh, roast it in the oven around 180 degrees. Uh, Celsius in um, you know fan oven as you would normally do so what is it about 20 minutes per 450 grams of meat you know for medium rare um, so next step will be to prepare the sauce in a pan uh, crush the soaked dates uh, to a pulp add about uh, 290 milliliters of uh, red wine 60 milliliters of olive oil, about 60 grams of uh, clear honey, and about 60 milligrams of fish sauce. Remember, fish sauce is what the ancients used um, a lot, called garum. 
So the fissures, the Vietnamese fissures we have nowadays, it's a very, very similar thing. Bring to, bring to the boil all these ingredients together in the saucepan, bring to, to the boil, let it reduce a little bit and then thicken it, if you like, with some um, corn flour or something similar. To serve our roasted meat and the sauce, we'll make some bulgur, which um, back in the ancient uh, Greece they must had. Remember, yeah, there was no potatoes or rice. Um, so yeah, we'll serve with some bulgur. To make the bulgur, grab, let's say, 200 grams of bulgur, double the amount of water. First of all, we toss the bulgur in some olive oil in the saucepan, add a bit of garlic, add a little bit of onion if you like, toss them all together, let them get a nice color, then add the water, let it boil and absorb all the water, and then we'll be ready. Um, to serve, carve thick slices of the mouth-watering sticky roasted joint with some sauce on the side and a generous dollop of bulgur and you have your ancient Sunday roast dinner. Ta-da! Another recipe I want to share with you. It's um, an incredible salad and unusual one for that. It's a fantastic winter cabbage uh, with asafoetida and coriander. Perfect weather for cabbage, winter, and winter cabbages are the best. So it's time to do this recipe. This is served uh, with the famous oxymeli, which is honey vinegar in ancient Greek. And uh, the ancient medical writers and doctors popularized as good uh, dietary advice to have because it cured headaches and stomach upsets, apparently. So this delicious recipe is as following. Take a small head of cabbage, finally slice it with a sharp iron knife, wash it thoroughly and let it drain on the side. Make the honey vinegar sauce, oximely, and to make that you boil 120 grams of honey, then you add 30 milliliters of red wine vinegar and reduce it, reduce, reduce the mix. Let it cool down, put it aside, chop some fresh coriander, nice and bright green, and mix it with some golden extra virgin olive oil. Now take two teaspoons of uh, dried roux, if you can find it, if you don't, maybe some winter savory would do, and mix it, all these herbs, olive oil and cabbage together. So toss the cabbage in the olive oil, coriander and roux mix. Then. Sprinkle some salt and two pinches of asafoetida. Then dress it with three or four generous tablespoons of the honey vinegar mix. And there you go, you have your excellent Athenian cabbage salad. Great as a side dish, or obviously as a salad to share with some uh, main dish. Bon appétit, enjoy! That's all for now. I hope you've enjoyed traveling with me through the time and tastes of the ancient Mediterranean. This was the Delicious Legacy Podcast. I am Thomas Dinas. Thank you for listening. Bye!
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 